This is the visible hand. My name is Jordi Blanes Ividal. My guest today is Guido Friebel, who is a professor of economics and business at Goethe University in Frankfurt. Today we're going to talk about his paper, Middle Managers' Personal Turnover and Performance, a long-term field experiment in a retail chain, which is joined with Matthias Heinz and Nikolai Zubanov. The paper was published in Management Science in 2022. Guido, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So this is a field experiment in which you try to decrease the quit rate in a large retail chain in a Eastern European country. Could you start by telling us why is it that the firm that you collaborate with has as one of its objectives to decrease the quit rate among its employees? Yeah, in, in, indeed, in retail, it is very important to have uh, people who are trained. We sometimes might underestimate the importance of training and knowing how things should get done in retail, because as consumers, we're just going in, we pick our our bottle of wine or our ham and we go out. But uh, suppose, for instance, that people have forgotten to uh, put the wine into the shelves, then we wouldn't be able to buy the wine we want. And uh, trained personnel might not forget this, while untrained personnel might actually forget that. We did some calculations to find out how costly this sort of um, employee turnover actually is. And it's a realm of a few monthly salaries of a person to replace somebody after they have left, conditional on, of course, you wanting to keep them, i.e. the good people. Now, the firm that we were working on had a massive retention problem, and that was partly owing to local conditions. It's a relatively small country with a lot of transparency about wages, and people are literally leaving for a few cents more per hour. And that was a massive problem that the company wanted to um, wanted to solve. So a standard solution, if you want to keep your employees, is to pay them more. If uh, you know training is so important, or just to say it differently, if human capital, maybe firm-specific, is so important, clearly these workers have accumulated some skills. Um, and therefore, in some sense, they are valuable to the firm. Why isn't the first approach, you know, to just increase a little bit the wages in order to decrease that turnover rate a little bit? Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And evidently, it's, it's a classic idea, the efficiency wage idea. I pay people more and um, uh, that makes them more loyal. Indeed, our company had a strategy like that before the financial crisis. And during the financial crisis the, uh, of 2008, 2009, there had been a shift towards uh, reducing the rents that people enjoyed over the market rent. And at the time that we came, most retail employees in that country roughly make the same money. So it seems that there had been a shift in the equilibrium from uh, providing people with extra money to make them more loyal and better trained to uh, more or less uh, having one market wage that uh, would not allow this kind of efficiency wage. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the company? Like uh, um, how big is it? Like uh, how many stores uh, does it have? What is the average size of the store and so on? 
Yeah, it's a pretty big company. I mean, it is uh, one of the Baltic states. Um, I'm I'm not allowed to tell you which one, <laughs> but the three Baltic states are countries that uh, are middle-income countries, probably at the higher end of middle-income countries. They have experienced uh, since the 90s an influx of um, uh, of Western know-how in certain sectors like IT, but also retail. And uh, this company uh, is a pretty big one. It has more than 200 stores. Um, think of a mid-sized supermarket that you might have in, in England or Germany. I mean, it's not the mega stores that you would have in France, but it is a good-sized supermarket, which has around 25 people working there and usually has a full, a full um, range of goods in, in the food realm. It usually doesn't do a lot of non-food. And so you say that the company had before as a strategy to pay wages that are that were slightly above market market wage. Um, how has the firm been doing lately? What are the um, other uh, conditions that led to changing its strategy and maybe being a little bit more stingy with its employees? So it really used to have this uh, image of being a more innovative place. And it tried to maintain that image in terms of the um, the goods that it sells. So for instance, uh, it has a good meat counter and very often also fish and fresh goods, which not all supermarkets can provide with the same sort of um, of quality. Uh, but the impression had been that because it got under so much pressure during the crisis, it, it had sort of lost its position um, in the labor market as a privileged place to work. Now, we went into uh, a survey. Um, I think we surveyed uh, 800 uh, citizens of the country to find out whether uh, the company still enjoys a little bit of a reputational um premium. It does so slightly compared to other retail places. But in general, retail jobs have a very bad reputation in the country. Okay. So in the paper, we have this survey where we show that uh, retail jobs are almost the lowest reputation jobs uh, in the economy. And it seems that the company is struggling with this just as all the other uh, competitors. One possibility to uh, incentivize uh, workers to stay around for longer and even to, uh, you know, be more motivated while they're working is to offer them the prospect of a career inside the organization. If this is like a big firm, one would expect that you might find a lot of like success stories of people who started, uh, you know, in the floor um, of the supermarket and then slowly. Um, moved up to being vice president of something, something, you know, uh, is this like a, a potential career path for that the temple is uh, could have? It is indeed. And I'm, I'm very happy you asked this because this is also one of the interventions we tried. So maybe I should briefly say what we did here was the um, randomized control trial um, in which we have uh, two interventions. One is where, you know, managers are asked to take better care of the workers. And the other is to make salient the career opportunities that you have in the company. So let's zoom in on the career opportunities. What we did is we did an analysis with the existing data 
By the way, this is what we always do. Whatever RCT uh, I'm doing with my friends, we try to first get the historical data and really understand what's going on, have correlational uh, analyses and so on to get the smoking guns that could maybe um, uh, give you an idea of what kind of RCT you could do. And in these data, we identify um, the success stories, as you put it, of people who began like you know part-time workers in a supermarket and ended up as a regional manager or head of operation. And uh, we are confronting people in the treated um, uh, in the treated groups with these success stories, and we say, "Did you know?" that X percent of the current regional managers started just like you as a shop assistant. Uh, we get some effects, but they're not super strong and they take some time to pick up. So career concerns might actually talk to people who already have a long breath. Let's put it like this. You know, if you enter a job and you're not sure whether you're gonna like it, in particular in retail, the main problem is that people are tried in the first five months. They realize that this is a complicated job. You have to get up early in the morning. You have to carry heavy stuff around. And you might have to interact with customers who are unfriendly. And all of that might make you a tried after a few months. People with a longer breath who stay, usually who survive the first five or six months, they usually stay on. And for them then, the career concerns might also be important. But the main hemorrhage, if you want, in terms of people happens in the first five months. And that is my interpretation why the career treatment was not so successful. I'm going to ask you to describe these treatments in, in some more detail later, but should you say that uh, you had two treatments, one of them you just described it, which was to provide information to workers about the fact that there is a prospective career for them inside the organization, the other treatment was to communicate to middle managers, try to see what you can do in order to decrease the squid rate. I am interested in why I see that as researchers, you settled on these things. You have said, oh, we study the correlations and everything, so there's a, a prospect there, but that company has a problem. Uh, it comes to you and it tells you, since you are a professor, you must be very smart. Now tell me what to do to decrease the quit rate. What options came to mind or did you consider with your research team and, and why did you settle uh, on these two? Brilliant question. So, I mean, you, you already asked about paying people more money. So that was sort of off the, off the table. From the company's perspective. From the company's perspective. Okay. The money is not there and there are good reasons to say, okay, in the current state, it would probably send the wrong signal to the stakeholders, shareholders to increase people's people's pay with uncertain success rates, right? Because it could all kinds of things could happen. So you need to find an intervention that can be financed, uh, that should have meaning. People should uh, understand that uh, such a treatment should have impact because you need to convince people within an organization about the usefulness, the expected usefulness of any intervention you do. You cannot, like a researcher, say, I'm interested in the following 10 things, let's try. This is, according to my experience, this doesn't work. Um, what works is that you somehow engage with the top management in a discussion, you try to understand where the problems are, you build a coalition with people around 
certain instruments that uh, you think would theoretically make sense, but that they would also be willing to engage in. So the career treatment is something that is evidently, quote unquote, cheap, right? It's cheap. And what you do is very much like uh, you have these survey experiments now that are very that are very popular and and have good results. Uh, you're providing people with a piece of information. That's all you do. It doesn't cost you anything. Mm -hmm. um, the intervention that would say managers can have an impact on people's willingness to stay in a supermarket really comes from a non-economic, mainly from a non-economic literature. Um, it comes from the organizational behavior and leadership literature that says people join companies, but they may leave the manager. If people find that the manager never has time for them and that they might not even be nice to them, then they might leave. Although maybe they like the firm, but they would like their manager to be a better leader and a nicer person. And uh, when we talk to people, as we always do in the beginning, many people said, oh, look, I'm just doing my job here. There's not a lot of you know, interaction with managers and colleagues. I don't like that so much. And we said, maybe it's a good idea to see whether you can ask managers to be more of HR managers rather than managers of goods. Of operations. And that was the idea. I think in the meantime, when you think of the lovely work by Mitch Hoffman and, and uh, Steve Tadalis, um, or you think of Stanton, Shaw, and Lazier on, on the value of managers, it is not entirely exotic anymore to pose this question in economics. But I That's think right. five, so, six years so, ago, it was still a bit exotic. You were talking about the OB literature, but the last five to eight years, I've seen an explosion of this work. That's right. In economics right. as well. If you think of it, I think our intervention was in 2015 or 2016. So I think at that point in time, the only paper that I knew about middle managers was Hoffman Tadelis was just beginning. And there was a nice paper by uh, Antoinette Shore on middle managers in garment factories in Bangladesh that also found this impact of, you know, being nice rather than a jerk to people. If you could be a little bit more explicit about what the experiment consisted of, like, you said that there are 200 stores. What were the specific treatment groups, control groups, the combination of these two interventions, uh, and so on? Yeah, let, let, let's be quite open. Uh, I think we made a mistake. And the mistake that we made was to have two treatments and also the combination of the two, which brings down the four groups, the control and the three treatment groups to roughly 50, 50 uh, shops or so. And then you might get a little bit underpowered. So uh, what we get is we get good power for our management treatment. So we remember we have two groups where, you know, people receive this letter of the CEO together with the uh, chief of personnel saying, oh, please take care of people, uh, be more careful with them in particular in the beginning when they enter, make sure that they connect to their uh, colleagues and and you know make sure that they they feel at ease in in the place and so on. So that is one treatment. Sorry. So the letter does the letter explicitly mention the quit rate? It does. It says we have a very high quit rate. We need your help. Do what you can. And here are a few examples. And here are a few examples of what you can do. So had we only done this, 
then we get a pretty strong effect on uh, reduction of attrition, like one-fifth of the attrition goes away, which is good, and you save some money. Now, we got a little bit, quote-unquote, greedy <laughs> with our statistical power, and we had, as you know, the second treatment, the career treatment, and we also have the combination of the two. And when you look at the tables, then you're going to see that career also has a positive effect. Um, and the two, however, the management versus career effects are statistically uh, not very distinct. So just to be clear, the, the career effect is a letter that is sent to the employees. That's right. That's telling right. them that. So, so, so one letter goes to the manager and one of the treatments, and the other goes to the employees. And then there are some stores in which both the manager and the employees receive letters. Correct. There is another one in which obviously nobody receives letters. So you're saying that power is a problem. Like I have seen sometimes that people do like power calculations rather, you know, um, before even starting the experiment. I, I don't I know. always recommend this. I always do this. I always do it. But your power calculate, you, you were maybe like a, overestimating the size of the effect and therefore. A bit in particular, let's be very concrete. We are not underpowered in terms of the treatment effects. We're underpowered in terms of distinguishing I see the, the effect of the management and the career treatment, which of course would have been interested. And in particular, we don't find any complementarities between the two. I think that is an even that, that is probably the main problem. If you do such treatments and, and you find that one works and the other sort of works then shouldn't you expect that the combination of the two should work a little bit more? And we don't find that, okay? And that's a problem that many of these combined treatments actually have. I'm refereeing a lot of that stuff, and I always see the same sort of problem. It seems that, you know, combining treatments and getting like the extra uh, bang for the buck seems not to work. I don't know that I have a prior there. You know, there is maybe the notion of concavity of right? Like uh, the dependent variable to the effort that you put. So if you think that the two treatments are a movement along the x-axis in terms of increasing effort, maybe, you know, a concave relay, you know, it's... That is it's, possible. Right. It's not... And some of these things depend on the assumptions on complementarity versus sustainability between the two things, you know. Uh, your point is taken, that it would have been yeah. great, you know, to, to be able to say that there isn't really... You know what the shape of this relation is, which is not. Given that we tackle two different groups with the two treatments, I would have expected that they yeah. have some complementarity or at least some add-on, you know. You, you mentioned earlier that the, the information on the career treatment didn't seem to have like a, a strong effect in, in decreasing the quit rate, whereas uh, communicating to uh, managers, to middle managers, to the managers of the stores, that this is a problem, try to see what you can do about it, and so had more of an effect. Could you be a little bit more explicit on uh, how long-lasting these effects were? They are sort of long-lasting in the sense that we, we often see experiments that are done for a few months, and I think we have a full year plus three months. Our uh, paper in on team incentives only at three months. Uh, so here, deliberately, we wanted to keep it going as long as we could. There's something interesting about this, maybe just a side issue in terms of the political economy of these things. If you have convinced a firm to do these and you keep um, briefing them, you might actually be able to let it go for quite a while. 
because they're happy as long as they get feedback. Um, and they might say, oh, it works. So let's let's uh, hang in here, you know. But this is not counterbalanced by the fact that if the treatment happens to be successful, they want to roll it out across That's all right. the stores immediately. That's right. So uh, they were willing to wait a little bit with a rollout. They did a rollout, and we can talk later about the results of the rollout, which I think are very interesting. Um, so uh, I think we had positive effects for roughly 12 months. Uh, and if I say positive effects, I need to be careful because we get positive effects for attrition, but we do not get positive effect for sales, which is a little bit against our a priori, our a priori would have been if you have better trained people with more experience, they do their job better because they don't forget to put your favorite bottle of wine in the shelf. Then you should also see more sales. We don't. So while while the main objective was to decrease uh, the quit rate or attrition, as you say, you also have another set of regressions with other things on the left hand side. Uh, the sales of the store yeah. uh, is one of them. And there you don't find an effect. And we don't get much. Is there any other dependent variable that you that you put? And uh, do you find an effect on any other uh, thing? We didn't do that many because I've also learned that one shouldn't do too many left and side variables when you register an experiment. But the secondary one was indeed the sales. And we don't find anything. And then we begin to explore why that is the case. And I think the answer we find is that the managers shift their time allocation from doing things with clients to doing things with their personnel. Let me hold that for a second. And, uh, and let me uh, first uh, interrogate whether a priori we should really be finding an effect on sales. Okay. Okay. So you, you said that this is a, a that these stores have on average 24 employees, correct? Something like this, yes. Something like this, okay. So obviously the quit rate, the attrition rate is, is very high, you know, but uh, presumably some of these employees, out, let's say out of the 24, not everybody was new when you started the experiment, uh, right? Some of them had been around there for a while and they, they were, as you said, the attrition takes place over the first few months, so let's say that half of them or a substantial share of those will have been unaffected, okay? Now, on the, on the rest, you get results that you said were, if I remember, were something like a fourth or something like 25% decrease. I don't know how much a 25% decrease in the turnover rate that affects only a subset of the 24 employees should really have an effect on the sales of the store, which are computed at the aggregate level. Now, if you have individual productivity, that would be a different issue, right? Yeah. Because, but yeah, you know, I am, point. I don't know, like, I don't know that my prior will have been in your type of study, you are going to be able to detect something that is itself the result of something else, right? Like you are telling me that. This a is small excellent. portion of people who yeah. stayed accumulated some human capital, and then they did their job better. I don't know. No, this is this is an excellent point. I would need to go back into the appendix, but I think most of the attrition effects are probably among the people who are relatively young in the in the firm. Still, you have a very good point. If you have the I priori 
that um, making sure that people don't turn over too fast, you can improve productivity. It is not necessarily so that for each given store, you actually have that effect or that you even have it on average, because as you say, learning effects, human capital um, acquisition in the different stores may be such that uh, this is washed out. I, I like that point. I didn't I didn't come to this idea. I mean, I'm, I'm even wondering whether one could estimate this somehow structurally. I think I've seen one paper that tried to have these learning effects uh, by Dirk Slifgaard. So very good point. Point well taken. So an, an advantage of an advantage of doing this podcast with papers that are already published is that the authors are uh, uncharacteristically open to any criticisms yeah, yeah, yeah. that I may have, right? No, because no, totally. the publication is not at risk. No, no, to to uh, totally. Now, I don't think it jeopardizes um, the fact that we find the shift of managers uh, in terms of their um, allocation of work time. If you could, if you could tell us uh, the survey that uh, you ran uh, on the on the store managers yeah. uh, and the way that you measure this allocation and time and so on. Yes. So this was done uh, with the managers, and we 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 looked at uh, four different dimensions. So how much time do people take with their um, with their colleagues? How much time do they take on purely administrative things? How much time do they take on uh, talking to consumers, how much time do they take on organizing the logistics? Um, now, the logistics, you have to think, is almost pinned down um, uh, technologically because you have trucks coming into the supermarket. Then you have to make sure that the stuff that is on the trucks gets into the shelves and you have to tell people how to do this and so on. Uh, the main things where you can sort of adjust is between talking to customers and making them feel good and showing them things and pointing to, you know, the fresh new products you 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 have in the store and talking to uh, your personnel. And this is where we find the shift. So just to be clear, this uh, customer relation uh, thing that you refer to. So one thing that uh, as a consumer of uh, this uh, type of uh, supermarket services, uh, I find very annoying is when, you know, the, the checkout is a partly self-service part not, and then and then for some reason I'm maybe buying alcohol or something else that requires, you know, uh, you know, a, a shop attendant. I go there and there is nobody, right? Yes. Uh, in the so one thing that the manager can do is make sure that the allocation of time of the employees within the store is is optimized depending on the needs, you know, like a, a, at any time, right? So so you you can be like a filling shelves for a while, but then if you can see that the queue of customers is becoming too long, then maybe you can quickly redeploy uh, workers. That that is the type of things that 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 you have in mind when you say like the, the dealing with the customers. Is that is that part of that question? No, uh, yeah, not really. I I'd rather see it as if you go into a store and you have the impression that the um, that the boss of the store does a job almost like an entrepreneur he or she cares about you know the store being in good shape being available for customers who are saying where's my favorite bottle of wine don't you have it this time and then you say oh sorry it's out but it's going to come next week 
Um, this is the kind of stuff that you can usually not expect from every single employee, because many employees might be shy, might not want to uh, interact with customers, feel stressed about putting stuff in the shelf or cleaning up the, the floor after a bottle of wine fell down. So I think this is an ent almost entrepreneurial function and our managers are important in that respect. Our reading is that part of that got crowded out by the need to uh, spend time with the personnel. And that could actually explain why we don't see a positive sales effect because somehow the two things cancel out. So let me let me um, repeat what you just said, okay? So your interpretation here is there was a decrease in the quit rate that, that, we, uh, that, that we find. The decrease in the quit rate should imply that the store workers become better. They have uh, more human capital, whatever. And that should have a positive increase in sales. But this uh, decrease in the quit rate is at the cost of the store manager allocating time away from customer interaction and into worker interaction. But of course, the decrease of customer interaction decreases sales. So both things uh, balance out and the overall level of sales uh, remains unchanged. That is our interpretation. Th that, that is, that is a, an interpretation that is perfectly plausible. Let me, you know, make a little bit of Debbie's advocate here and ask you whether this interpretation might also be possible. Yep. Imagine that sales don't depend much either on human capital or on the effort of the store manager on customer interaction. Mm -hmm. That is, there is no negative effect of uh, the uh, interaction of the manager with the customers that is counterbalanced with a positive effect that comes from better workers. That would also lead to a zero effect there. And what we what we do know in many studies, and also our study, um, and some new work by um, uh, by Chad Severson and Metcalf and some others, is that the style of managers does matter does matter for many of these things. So fixed effects regressions, AKM sort of, or you know, added value sort of things, usually show that what managers do has an impact on the relevant outcome variables like sales. So I would be surprised if these managers had no impact at all. In fact, you have these AKM regressions in your own paper, right? In, in your own paper, you find that some managers are better than others. I mean, I'm very happy that now Matt Kalf, Steverson, co-authors have done that on scale. A a AKM is interesting. <laughs> AKM is interesting, and I think you need big data sets too. Uh, to get good AKM. I mean, I'm confident that our AKM is fine, but I'm even more confident if I see that in many retail firms, uh, you get similar results. So one thing that, that that you did in your experiment is to send a reminder after a while. Why do you do that? And uh, what do you find after sending that reminder? I didn't give you an answer to your question how long the, <laughs> the treatment actually works. It roughly works for a year, okay? Roughly works for a year. And then it sort of peters out. There are different interpretations why it peters out. One interpretation might be that the managers who have changed their behavior and talk more to um, their personnel might have expected a reward. We do a thing well, right? We bring down the quit rate. They don't get a reward. And it could be that uh, they're going back to how they used to do things. 
So suppose, for instance, they don't like that much to speak with their colleagues. They like more speaking with customers. If they don't get a reward, then they might go back to the good old days where they spend more time with customers and less with the personnel. Uh, that would be one interpretation. The second interpretation would be you have managerial turnover in the summertime. So roughly after 12 months, people are moving out. And also some of the workers are moving out because the summer is the time when people move out. And maybe they have forgotten that uh, or they don't know in the transition that this is what they expected to do. Both of these things point to let's try whether a reminder works. The reminder does work, but it's super short-lived. So the reminder works for a few months, you get a, a reduction in attrition, and then it all disappears. And that opens the question how sustainable this intervention really is, right? Is it something that almost naturally disappears after some while? Or could you switch it on and off? It seems you can switch it on, but for a much shorter period of, in time. Well, let me add, I guess not a qualifier, but a, a comment on what you said, which is that we haven't discussed uh, so far, what the incentives of the managers actually are, right? So I would expect that the type of forces that you have will be uh, stronger in settings in which managers are strongly rewarded for other methods of performance. And therefore, they don't really want to allocate their effort to things that they are not rewarded for. In settings in which managers I pay, let's say, a flat rate, just, you know, for the sake of the argument, they may still, you know, forget about doing these things or 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 go back to not treating their, their, their employees as well because it is painful for them to talk to them and so on. But they might be more willing than if they are uh, single-mindedly focused on a specific measure of performance on which their monthly paycheck is going to depend. I, I like this interpretation. I mean, uh, one observation we have about many of these retail structures is that uh, the incentives given um, are, I'd say, not always optimal. Uh, but that's not only true for retail structures. It's also in the realm of white-collar work. There are almost no firms that provide people reasonable incentives for personnel development. People are usually pinned down by KPIs like cost sales, the number of um, programs your team has coded or whatnot, and usually not the personnel development or uh, quit rates or, or engagement levels of uh, the people under your purview. So yes, um, that's a good point. So... Um... To summarize a little bit the discussion that we have had, um, there are three elements that um, we have been discussing that are uh, potentially important or, or that that sound uh, that sound interesting and that you emphasize uh, uh, in the paper. Number one is that the actions of store managers matter, specifically in terms of the quit rate of the workers. That this is something that they can have an impact on. Uh, Number two is that uh, the uh, effort spent on these HR activities is subject to a trade-off. Uh, so at least in this case, it seems um, as if you know increasing effort on uh, decreasing the quit rate maybe comes at the expense of uh, decreasing effort on other activities. So a, a multitasking problem. Uh, number three uh, is that 
simply communicating the goals of the organization to middle managers, simply that can induce a change in behavior, at least for a while, but you know, that internal communication matters a lot. Uh, one thing that uh, I have the impression is that you are putting a lot of emphasis on number one and two, and uh, maybe not as much emphasis on number three. And I think that number three, that is that just sending a letter to managers saying, you know, this is a problem, see what you can do. That by itself seems to have a meaningful impact uh, on their behavior. And uh, I was curious to know whether this is just my impression and you really think that this is, a, you know, a, a core contribution of the paper. Um, and I guess I, I misinterpreted, you know, the relative emphasis that you're putting or or that you think that, well, maybe this is not as interesting as Jordi thinks. And if that is the case, I would like to know why. No, I think it's interesting. And I thought we we had stressed that uh, this letter has has an impact. I mean, it's probably a question of how much you want to push it, because I, I, I think what's specific about our paper is that we also see it has some real impact in terms of how people allocate their time. I mean, it is not simply that please do so and then they work more. You know, it is please do so. And then given their time constraints, they work different. So uh, I think if you simply communicate and tell people, please, please, please do more so that we reach our goals, you should understand that this has shadow costs. This will be taken very seriously within the hierarchy and people will adjust. And to that extent, I'm, I'm, I'm doubtful that many of these pure communication strategies within firms uh, can just help. First of all, you don't know how often you can do it. Our reminder shows ah, the second time it works a bit, but not super good, right? Um, so communication has costs. And to that extent, I wouldn't want to have a general conclusion. Oh, all you need to do is talk to your talk to your uh, middle managers. Uh, you're going to impact their behavior. That's, I think, what is very important. Wonderful. Thank you, Guido, for coming to the podcast. Thank you, Jordi. Please visit our website, thevisiblehand.uk, interactive music and logo by Aitana Blanesiso, episode produced by Anderson Tan.